Rigoberta and Rommel, Democide and the Guatemalan Civil War. During the summer of 1983, the first Spanish copies of Me llamo Rigoberta Menchu y así me nació la conciencia rolled off the press. Dictated by a 23-year-old young woman from the Mayaquiche, an indigenous linguistic and ethnic group of Guatemala, the book recounted her experiences as an adolescent growing up during a civil war, bringing to the forefront of the world stage the atrocities that the Guatemalan government was perpetrating against the predominantly indigenous population of the country's highlands. The world was stunned by the horrific scenes of rape, torture, and murder depicted in its pages, all products of a repressive government seeking to silence its citizens in order to keep exploiting their labor in the great fincas, or plantations, on the coast. Despite the publicity generated from Menchu Tum's book, along with other evidence of these atrocities, and in spite of several high-profile world organizations whose sole purpose was to watch for and prevent government-sponsored mass murder, the United Nations wouldn't fund a truth commission to evaluate the situation until 1996. It wasn't until 1999, almost 20 years after Minchutum came forward, that the Guatemalan military's actions against armed, against unarmed civilians between 1962 and 1996 were ruled a genocide. During that time period, 1983 to 1999, Thousands of more innocent people lost their lives at the hands of the army. In this presentation, I will seek to explain several reasons why it took so long for the Guatemalan case to be considered a genocide by the international community, and how R.J. Rummel's term, democide, can help avoid similar delays in the future. In a chapter on Guatemala in a book on genocide, Ben Kiernan the director of the Genocide Studies Program at Yale explains why the Academy, and the rest of the world for that matter, has such a hard time labeling cases of military-perpetuated slaughter as genocide. Quote, The 1948 United Nations Genocide Convention specified that victims of genocide are limited to members of a national, ethnical, racial, or religious group, excluding political and other groups from the convention's protection. Close quote. The convention also required that prosecutors, quote, prove a perpetrator's intent or conscious desire to destroy such a group rather than any particular motive for it, and on the legal individualist concept of a crime as opposed to its social context or causes, close quote. If a program of mass murder is instituted against a political group, or if it is impossible to prove that the government sponsored the program, then the affected group is not protected by the convention, and the perpetrators cannot be tried for genocide by international law. Due to these considerations, those responsible for assigning one of Harf and Gurr's six types of politicide and genocide to different cases must realize that their decisions have much graver consequences than assigning simple epistemological classifications to human rights violations. This is what makes the Guatemalan case so difficult. First, because of the interest, interesting mix of race and politics in the conflict, and second, because of the political and legal ramifications for the Guatemalan government if its actions were ruled genocidal. The political activism evident in Rigoberta Minchutum's testimonio offers a great example of this ambigu ambiguity in the Guatemalan case for genocide. Although Minchutum tells her story from the perspective of an indigenous person first, claiming that 
My situation, quote, my situation encompasses the reality of an entire people, my translation, close quote. It is impossible to deny that there is a strong political narrative embedded in her story as well, something that becomes clear as soon as she reads, as soon as one reads, excuse me, the title, Me llamo Rigoberta Menchu y así me nació la conciencia. My name is Rigoberta Menchu and this is how I awoke, my translation. The phrase, and this is how I awoke, is laden with Marxist imagery and alludes to the German economist's theory of class struggle. According to Marx, in order for the proletariat to gain the strength needed to rise up and overthrow the bourgeoisie, they first needed to awaken to a sense of class consciousness, that is, to become aware of their state of oppression and form bonds of camaraderie with their fellow oppressees. At its core, Minchutum's testimony Testimonio is just that, the story of how she became conscious of her status as an oppressed person and how she then subsequently joined the fight for liberation. When she tells us then of how, quote, one of her brothers died of malnutrition, uh, close quote, while her family was working on a finca due to the negligence of her employer, or how, quote, her father had the holes of five bullets in his head and one in his heart, close quote, after he was shot protesting in the Spanish embassy in Guatemala City, is to help us understand her political and social, social awakening and to encourage us to awaken as well to the plight of the indigenous Guatemala, uh, the indigenous Maya and support their cause. It is interesting to note how David Stoll, perhaps Minjutum's greatest detractor, criticizes these political components of Minchutum's testimonio in order to accentuate the ideological factors of the Guatemalan Civil War and draw attention away from government attacks on innocent civilians. In an interview with Dina Fernandez Garcia, a reporter with the Guatemalan newspaper Prensa Libre, Sol explains that it was irresponsible for Minchutum to use such blatantly political themes in her testimonio and that such works should be objective. Quote, the fact is that in 1982, Rigoberto was a militant of the EGP. She believed in the ideology and used it to frame the experience of her family and people. Close quote. In his book, Rigoberto Menchu and the Story of All Poor Guatemalans, however, he transgresses his own rules of objectivity by lacing his critique of Menchutum with anti-communist rhetoric. For example, in a section where he defends the army's use of violence against civilians, Stoll states that, quote, the fanatical anti-communism of Guatemalan, Guatemala's government that allowed it to slaughter so many men, women, and children could not have happened without the specter of foreign communism as provided by the revolutionary theatrics from Cuba, close quote. A closer analysis of the facts, however, shows that, quote, Guatemala had always been considered a more questionable revolutionary theater by Havana, and the Guatemalan insurgents were not supplied with the arms they expected from the Cubans, close quote, unlike other Central American revolutions. While interviewing people for his book, he also, quote, only chose those testimonies who were in agreement with his argument, close quote. Clearly, Stoll himself did not aim to remain objective in his criticism. By mentioning the specter of foreign communism and ignoring certain facts, Stoll here reveals his own political agenda. His goal in attacking Minchutum is not that of ensuring objectivity and testimony, but rather the preservation of the good name of the United States and the besmirching of any persons who stand in the way of its objectives. 
when Menchutum denounced Guatemala in her tes testimonio, she, by association, denounced the United States, who poured millions, if not billions, of dollars into the Guatemalan army, trained Rios Mont, the Guatemalan president in the early 1980s, in the infamous School of the Americas, and supported the technique of, quote, drying up the ocean, i.e. killing civilians, and to eliminate the fish, i.e. the guerrilla, close quote, by shifting the public's focus from Menchu Tum's identity as an indigenous woman to her identity as a leftist revolutionary in the book, in his book, Stoll firmly places his flag in the camp of American nationalism and attempts to discredit her claim to genocide by trying to prove that the attacks were not racialized. In that way, he defends U.S. foreign policy and protects the United States from the potential embarrassment of being indicted in an international genocide trial. On the other side of the political spectrum, at least one staunch supporter of Menchutum sought to distance the Nobel Peace Prize winner from her revolutionary past and diminish Stoll's argument for politicide. In his chapter, Rigoberta Menchu's History Within the Guatemalan Context, Fellow Guatemalan author Arturo Arias depicts the army's attacks on unarmed civilians during the Civil War as a continuation of the Spanish colonial policy of exploiting and eliminating indigenous peoples. He then problematically links the colonial system to the largest genocide of all time by describing it with the very politically charged word Holocaust. He further encourages comparisons between the Mayans of Guatemala and the Jews of Europe by claiming that the military, quote, was implementing a process of ethnic cleansing, close quote, in the region, and that they were using the guerrilla as an excuse. After solidifying the association between Guatemala and the Holocaust, thus returning the focus of the conversation, the conversation back to race, Arias then subtly downplays Manchu Tum's role in the guerrilla by showing how she became less and less radical over time and emphasizing her work to further the Mayan cause internationally. Although he barely mentions Stoll, it is clear that Arias's chapter is structured as a rebuttal to his work. Thus, Rigoberta Manchu Tum and the Guatemalan Civil War were caught up in the culture wars of the latter half of the 20th century. That is, the fight between the Eurocentric right and the more inclusive left for the right to tell history. Latching on to the political differences between the two texts, members of the right use Stoll's argument to try to discredit Minshutum, labeling her as, quote, an ignorant and uneducated Indian woman from whom we have nothing to learn and whose experience and life choices make her insufficiently difficult to represent an indigenous view of the world, close quote. Professors who taught the book, instead of being asked, quote, how can we stop the violence, were asked, how do you justify including a communist in your curriculum, close quote. Instead of fostering a conversation on the importance of human rights and how to stop the mounting death toll of innocent people in Guatemala, Mayama Rigoberta Minchu was caught in a quagmire of political intrigue spurred on by, quote, the international media blitz set in motion by Stoll's book, close quote. This war of words and battle over semantics completely missed the point of Menchutum's narrative, and while the politicians and academics continued to argue, thousands of minds were still being mur murdered by the Guatemalan government. In the CEH's final report on the question of genocide in Guatemala, the commission reported that, quote, the army, inspired by the national security doctrine, 
defined a concept of internal enemy that went beyond guerrilla sympathizers, combatants, or militants to include civilians of certain ethnic groups, close quote. In total, around 200,000 civilians were killed, 83% of which were indigenous Mayan. Although it is estimated that half of those murders took place between 1981 and 1983, that still leaves 100,000 victims to account for between 1962 and 1996, many of which could presumably be have been uh, killed during the time period between 1983 and 1996, when the United Nations first funded the Truth Commission. And these figures do not even take into account those who, quote, for their supposedly subversive character, were captured, interrogated, tortured, or forcibly disappeared, close quote, by the army during that time period, in an attempt to, quote, annihilate the group physically and spiritually, close quote. In the Exil region alone, quote, between 70% and 90% of villages were raised, close quote, during the Civil War. The result of all these actions, regardless if the government's actions were politicidal or genocidal, was the destruction, in whole and in part, of a significant portion of the Mayan population and culture in targeted areas. In a 1995 article in the Journal of Conflict Resolution, Professor R.J. Rummel coined a new term that could help diminish the legal importance of the debate between politicide and genocide in the future and accelerate the response time to these terrible crimes against humanity. Democide, which he defines as, quote, the intentional killing of people by government, close quote. This definition encompasses both both crimes, in addition to other atrocities, such as, quote, starving civilians to death by a blockade, purposefully creating a famine, executing prisoners of war, murdering by quota, etc., close quote, as well. And although I don't have it written down here, it also... Uh, does not include any sort of military action against militants. And by that, he refers specifically to anybody who has arms in their hands at the time. According to Rummel, quote, democide is meant to define the killing of states as a concept of murder. It defines individual killing in domestic society, close quote. With an individual murder trial, the labeling of a crime as fratricide or a negligent homicide is an interesting piece of information that can be used to build a case or help law enforcement prevent future deaths. But in the end, one categorization or another does not keep the perpetrator from being arrested with the smoking gun still in hand. By that same token, governments who commit mass murder, murder, whether it is through genocide, politicide, or intentional negligence, should not be able to escape punishment for their crimes simply due to differences in epistemology. Thus, the larger net of democide can be used to help bring global attention to a wider number of government-sponsored mass murder events and encourage early intervention, allowing more politically charged and less time-sensitive classifications to be determined later after the immediate danger has passed. What happened in Guatemala was a tragedy. And once what the army was doing was brought to public attention, it should have been taken more seriously by the international community. Instead, questions of epistemology and discreditation delayed the process for years and allowed for the deaths of thousands of more people. These were senseless deaths that could have been avoided by a faster response time. 
by using the term democide, which is more inclusive and less ambiguous than either genocide or politicide, we can reverse that tendency by delaying the debate in order to focus on limiting the damage first. In that way, we can take another step toward more effectual international justice.